As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? Yeah, Watford won, baby, 2-0 at home to <laughs> Reading on a Friday night. And, well, I think I'm there. I think I'm there. I'm not going to say it out loud, but I think I am there. My name is John. Welcome to From the Rookie a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, with me this evening is Colin. Don't worry. I think John may have had a beer, one or two beers <laughs> during the game. He's very, very excitable, so uh, we look forward to that. Yeah, okay. And uh, Jason's here. Good evening. And uh, still at Vicarage Road, or outside Vicarage Road now, uh, is Mike Parkin. Yeah, I've come to where we usually record when we're together. I'm feeling a bit melancholy, actually. Stood here outside the Hornet shop on me Jack Jones, recording from the Rookery End. So, uh, and sad to be doing it without you chaps, but very, very pleasing to do it on the back of uh, what was a pretty, what was an incredible result, really, all things considered, I thought. Yeah, well, it started off brilliantly. You know, as we know, Watford won 2-0. The goals came fairly early on. Uh, in fact, they came so quickly, the WhatsApp threw me off a little bit because uh, um, that was Watford's 53rd point that we've earned at home this week, uh, this year. Uh, and also, of course, 20 clean sheets. That's absolutely remarkable. And we currently sit 12 points. Yes, 12 points. Count them, please. Clear of third place. Forget about that games in hand and all the rest of it. But we are comfortable at the moment. Yeah, those first two goals came within minutes of each other. First one, 11 minutes from the right-hand crew doing their thing, Ishmael Lazar and, uh, and Kiko Saar scoring with his left foot. And then literally minutes later on the WhatsApp group, it said, oh my God. And I thought, oh, it wasn't that good a goal, DCW. He sort of sent that and then boom, thanks to the lovely delay that we have watching these games on whatever streaming service you're using. He stuck in another one, this time with his left foot. It was a cracking start, Mike, with tempo and energy which is exactly what we needed to see after the last two games wasn't it yeah the game had tempo and energy it was, it was a very very frenetic entirety of the first half and yeah you, you didn't well I didn't feel for Reading at all I was going to say oh, yes, I felt a little bit sorry for Reading there <laughs> their, their game plan up in smoke they would have watched you know Middlesbrough do a, a fairly decent job of gumming up the right hand side and stopping the what you, what you rightly refer to John the Kiko and Sarso down the right 
um, and within the space of well, ninety seconds really, that had completely gone up in in smoke, hadn't it? They, you know, and that's the difference. That's Watford have got the quality, um, and two absolutely blinding finishes for from Ismail Assar, um, and Watford were were off to the races, really, weren't they? And you expected um, sort of the the rest of the second half to continue in that that pattern for a, a couple of minutes after those goals, and Reading looked a little bit shell shocked, as well they might. But um, but they came roaring back into it, I must say. Um, but yeah, credit credit to Watford for, for getting those. Uh, we all said it. We've said it. Everything that one of the best things about Watford's performances in the in the last couple of months has been those quick starts and those early goals. And once Watford go ahead, it it undoes the opposition, doesn't it? Because their plan will be to keep it tight as long as we can, and then we can either hit them on the break or or whatever. And and when Watford get ahead, they they tend to stay there, don't they? And uh, to, to get those two quick fire goals in such a massive, massive game with, you know, with, with our rivals watching on undoubtedly uh, on Sky in their team hotels was a, was a monumental statement. The perfect start and, and great for Ismail Assar to get them because a confident Ismail Assar is an unplayable Ismail Assar. So, yeah, brilliant start. Jason, what do you get take from that Watford uh, start the game from Watford? You said on the WhatsApp, didn't you, John, about you were looking for a more or looking for more intensity in the performance. Um, and I don't know if it was more intense or just the way we pressed was was smarter and the way we got in the faces of Reading was smarter, certainly at the start of the game. And I think you're talking about the goals. The first one came with a bit of bit of patience. We sort of sucked them in and then it was a sort of long ball down the right hand side that sort of set Sar and Kiko free. Not the intensity, the intention to uh, attack and to go direct and it's the first goal. And then of course the second one came from won the ball high up the pitch and uh and obviously Sar did the business from there. So we're gonna talk about Reading later, I'm sure. I I didn't think we were as intense as they were, but I think we were smarter in the way we address the situation and the way that we created our own level of intensity yeah because Colin Redding you know there was a, I can't remember who said it on Twitter someone said you know they cheered that set first half whistle at the end of the first half like it was the end of the game because um, it, it did feel like we were we were under a lot of pressure were you were you really worried in that first half Cole? Not really, because yes, they created some chances. They carved us up a couple of times. But what I really like about the way we're playing at the moment is that is the commitment to both attack and defence. So when we're attacking, we commit players forward. We take that risk. We're ambitious. We try to get men in the box. Both goals came from a kind of overload down that right-hand side. Obviously, the, the skill and, and talent of Saar to finish those two from quite acute angles, really. Not the, the, the one on his left foot, he was more central. But, you know, really, really good uh, goals but then we're also really committed in our defense it is you know if we were to look at individuals you would have to say that uh that Truce de Kong his value to the side is there's a net credit uh in that he's a good leader Woo-hoo. and that he organizes things well but there are things about his game which do literally make the hairs stand up on the back of your neck because occasionally more than occasionally frankly he does give. He does pass the ball basically to the opposition in dangerous areas. You do say that he did that, Colin, but I think there were several undercut yes, passes well, across the whole team. We were suddenly under the cosh, and I have to say, I do think that this this Reading performance is probably the best performance by an opposition team that I've seen against us. 
even as Mike said, they roared back after five minutes of like, oh, we weren't expected to be 2-0 down, but they really did roar back. And of course, they've got, in many ways, at 2-0 down, they've got nothing to lose, but they've got real quality uh, in, in that side at times. And they did create good chances. They just weren't able to take them. And part of that is the absolute joy of watching Watford defend when we are under the cosh. So you see Hughes come back. In the second half, we saw Zinkenagel try to get his head on a ball, which almost took his head off from a cross where he was in the opposition box. And a minute later, he's he's nicking the ball off the right winger in our own box. And, and we seem to have that collective spirit that we put bodies in front of, of the defender. They recycled the ball in front of our goal a few times, Reading, just looking for that little yard of, of space, that little moment where they can get their shot off. But every time they tried it, there was another Watford body in front of them. Although it, it wasn't fun to watch that last 30 minutes of the first half because you were thinking, oh God, if they get one, you know, everyone knows the cliche um, about a 2-0 lead. You know, if you concede a goal, suddenly the momentum s- switches, especially if it happens before the ha- before half time. And they weren't really able to take their chances, and that seemed to send them in. And they did; they didn't look quite the same team when they came out second half. I think that's a really, I think that's a really, really valid point that that Colin makes. And you, Frank, quite frankly, I get a little bit hysterical sometimes watching Watford. I'm no. either one, end, one end of the spectrum Let me flick the through other. the WhatsApp group. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Over the top. Yeah, carry on, Michael. And and watching it as as Colin rightly said was was tough. And and I think it was. There's a number of things about it. One, I think the most probably the the biggest thing about it was that teams just haven't done that to us. Certainly not at, at Vicarage Road. And I would count. Uh, Brentford and, and Norwich in that um, the way they they sort of stepped up the pace and, and, and Colin is also right to say they had nothing to lose really at 2-0 down the game plan was out the window they are desperate for the points um, as much as we are so they had to go for it and go for it they did and I just thought the way they sliced through our midfield was was sort of jaw-dropping really and they, yeah. they sort of seem to make it into our into our penalty box at will. And, you know, I was saying at half time, you know, it's a really it's an absolute miracle that Reading haven't scored and, and we could have even been been leveled. But hearing Colin talk there and just having given myself a little bit of time to, to, to calm down and think about it during the second half, Colin's absolutely right, because what Watford did was that hung on in there in the face of what was an incredibly impressive performance and from really talented players, you know, tricky, pacey, strong. Um, you know, they were le- leaving us in midfield for, for dust at, at times. But what, what Watford actually did, despite the, us being our own worst enemy a couple of times, you know, the, the Trusty Kong ball, and uh, you know, they, they should have scored, but they didn't. And that, that, that is in great part down to... Watford's commitment to, to this defensive unit and how tough they are to score against. John said at the top, you know, how many clean sheets? 20 clean sheets. It's, it's unheard of for Watford. I, I Probably before John said that, I would have hazarded a guess that we haven't gone 20 clean sheets in my entire career watching Watford. So to do it, to do it in a season really is, is monumental. And I think it's, it speaks to the less of, sort of Reading's inability to finish and more Watford's attitude back there to protect that that clean sheet you know backman clearing out um still barking orders from from minute zero to minute 96 as it as it was today and and i think we have to give watford real real credit because that you know a couple of times teams have turned up and quite frankly they haven't been much much cop you couldn't level that accusation at reading today and watford really had a job on in that first half to protect that lead and and they did it and and i think 
I, at the time, I was feeling a little bit critical. There was there were probably a little bit sloppy, some misplaced passes, but they went in having protected that lead and then went on to the second half to 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 really close the game out. But the fact they hung hung in there in that in that in that first half sort of tirade, it was it was. It was quite astonishing at times, but they they did it, and I think that is massively, massively impressive. Huge credit to everyone involved to get to get us in um, at two zero. It's quite easy to look at games and say, "Oh, we hung on in the last ten minutes," um, but actually, hanging on in that first half could easily be the best hanging on of the entire entire <laughs> season. Second half, though, Jason, it wasn't exciting. Um, the first half was like, "Oh man, the championship!" If you're watching this game, you know, if anyone's watching the Wolves Fulham game, I'm sure it was a lovely Premier League game, but people. Would been switching over to watch the first half of Watford against Reading. Didn't quite get in the second half um, in terms of the, the spectacle, let's say. But the second half, we saw a substitution. We saw Sanchez come on uh, for uh, an injured, uh, not how, how badly, we're not sure at the moment, and Nathaniel Chalabar. Um, but Will Hughes in that second half, and yeah, in fact, the whole game, he, he was much more in control of that game, Jason, wasn't he? Uh, and, and playing a little bit further, uh, further forward uh, in the second half. Yeah, he did. Obviously, Sanchez came on, so he um, was was given the the deeper role. I think yes, it was. Uh, you, you say the the entertainment value perhaps wasn't as much in the second half. Probably down to a couple of things. We talked about Reading. They spent a lot of energy in that first half, playing the way they did. They had guys like Ijaria and Elise did a lot of running with the ball, um, but there were a lot of there was a lot of sort of give and goes, working through the lines up the pitch which takes a lot of energy. And I think that uh, that probably sucks a lot out of them as well. But also, we controlled the game a lot better. There was a lot less of the sloppy passes. Hughes, obviously, a part of that. But also, Sanchez, who came on, a big part of that as well. He did that thing where his first touch in the game is a poor one. His second touch is a tackle. Got that out of the way straight away at kickoff. Um, <laughs> and then after that, he was, as we've seen him to be just sort of very calm on the ball and sort of playing I'm not sure if he's if he's played that sort of deeper role when he's come on before he's he's played in front of Hughes this time he's playing deeper but we saw a lot from him in terms of his tackling his his willingness to sort of scrap a bit as well I think there was a header early on that he he went up for and won mm. very very strong very strong in the air something we haven't seen from him as much um, I, I don't think so far so, so yeah, I think we, with that substitution, forced as it may have been, we seemed to gain a bit more control. Passing was better. Hughes up top and his energy was better. Sanchez sitting, maybe not better than Hughes, but was a, a commanding presence between defence and the more advanced players. Colin, you were impressed by, by Sanchez? I was really impressed by him. I might put something on the WhatsApp group when the change was made. And he said, well, he won't be worried about this lot. And uh, and that proved to be absolutely true. He, he seemed very comfortable when he came on. And also, you know, when you've got a 2-0 lead against a team that has tried very hard to, to get, you know, the first goal back, you come out in the second half. If you can slow that tempo down, gain control of the ball, take some of the sting out of their running and and their and take some of the sting out of their intensity and and make them play at the tempo you want them to play at then you can take control of the game and I think Sanchez was a was a big part of that the other player I thought in the second half that emerged from quite a poor first half was Zinkenagel in the in the first half he got booked 
He looked like a man looking for his second booking, running around the pitch saying, where's my second booking? I want to get sent off. He looked out, but he uh, looked slow. Like he w- couldn't keep up with the game. Yeah, he couldn't keep, he, he couldn't keep up with the game. Didn't wasn't able to think quick enough. So he, he was finding himself slightly out of position, which is when you get those kind of lunge tackles when you're trying to make up for it. But then in the second half, and I don't know whether it was because Sanchez came on and Hughes went up to sort of join him a bit more, that he suddenly just sort of found his feet. I think Zinkenagel is is clearly quite an intelligent man from when you've seen him uh, interviewed. Uh, intelligent man, an intelligent footballer. And I think he must have sat down in that in that half time and thought, I'm not, this is not me. I don't, this is not who I am. I'm, I'm someone, something a bit different from that. And I thought he came on and showed a much better side to his play in the second half. He got into some quite dangerous positions. He was linking up with the strikers quite well. He wasn't lunging in. He didn't look like a man who was going to get a second booking. So when you see that, those kind of little things, you think, God, this team is just so good on detail. It's, they didn't come out and just defend on the 18 yard line as a way of stopping Reading. They didn't come out and just throw the kitchen sink at Reading, trying to get a third goal. They just made little changes all over the pitch, which just really, this time, really worked. And I think Cisco has to be given some credit for that because in terms of in-game management, we have not been critical of him, but sometimes he, he has seemed a bit slow to react, made substitutions that we think was a bit late. You know, how can that player influence the game? But today, making that, that decision to take Chalabar off However, you know, he must have been injured, obviously, but to bring on Sanchez, to change the formation slightly, to give Zinkenagel um, that confidence to just, for him as an individual, just to, to take control of himself and play better. It sounds sort of, you know, kind of simple and, and stupid <laughs> in a way, but just to play better in the second half, to make better choices, to make sure his decision making is on point rather than throwing himself around the pitch, trying to keep up with the game that admittedly in the first half was played at 120 miles an hour and in the second half was played at sort of 60 miles an hour. So it was maybe a bit easier for him, but all in all, I thought our reaction to being 2-0 up, our reaction to that last 20 minutes in the first half, 25 minutes, where we were really at times slightly overrun. Uh, and yes, great to see the commitment of the whole team getting back and defending and throwing themselves in front. One, two, three players getting in between the ball and the goal. But the reaction to come out in that second half and really take the sting out of them. And they did seem to tire. The last five or six minutes, they kind of perked up again and they got a couple of chances, but they did seem to slightly lose their momentum and we slightly wore them down and you could see their heads just drooping a little bit, thinking we're, we're never going to score against this lot. And that, that's, that's so good. Those boys came on and they took responsibility. Zinkenagel had a massive, massive job to do because I think Chalabar was probably taken off because of, of a knock. So Sanchez came on and, as you've all said, was absolutely brilliant. And it, in what you might not have seen on the TV was he was barking orders and, and organising the team. He was very, very vocal, using all that experience to make sure that, that everyone was, was doing their job. And Zinkenagel had a very, very difficult first half, didn't he, for the reasons we said. And for, for him to come back in the second half and sort of walk that tightrope of, uh, of being on a yellow card, you know, Reading with all their tricky players driving forward, they were still, they were still making inroads, it would have been easy. But he, he really took, took responsibility, I felt. And that, that speaks volumes about him, speaks vol- volumes about Sanchez, but I think it speaks volumes about the squad. That's why they're getting these results, because they're taking responsibility for their own performances and each other's. They're looking out for each other and they're stepping up when we need them to. Mm. And, and we needed them all to do that today. Um, you know, even down to, to we'll talk about the subs later, I'm sure. But even when Isaac's success came on, he was strong and he was tough and he won balls in the air and he, he just did what he had to do. Uh, and I think that's p- particularly impressive for, for Zinkenagel. 
that won't be his favourite game in a lot of ways. You know, he had a couple of chances later on, didn't he, in the second half? Um, certainly one where it came to him on his left and it, and it went over. But for him to sort of maintain the discipline and just to get his nut down and get through the game and help Watford get through the game, I think is massively impressive. And he can, he can take a lot of credit for that and agree with everything you said about Sanchez. John, I just wanted to ask you, you talked about um, Zinkadagel struggling to get up to pace. How did it feel watching it on the TV in that first half? Because for me, that was the most, probably the most entertaining half of football we've seen at the Vic this, this season. Um, and it just felt, the word I use is, is frenetic. And I just wondered how you felt like, like watching it at home. It, it did, and I think I have that sort of call ahead to you, Michael, um, where and maybe I, I don't see all the terrible uh, that's going on. But for him, like I said, the, the, the thing I saw why you know I say he was off the pace was because of, one, he had already got a yellow card. Maybe my, my senses were heightened, uh, and every time he sort of... It was almost like, he, was he really going for a tackle? Was he just late for a tackle? And it was, we're waiting for the red card to come out, or the second yellow to then get his red. He just wasn't quite doing his defensive duties properly and and maybe I was just, you know you you say about you know the games he's played this is probably the fastest paced game he's been part of mm. um many of the games we play aren't played at this this high speed and so maybe the, it, it's 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 showing him um something and you know everything that we've learned um we'll speak to Jacob later about the interview that he did with them for WD18 Adam did a, a lot of background on him uh, speaking to the people who know him best and he, yeah he seems to be the man who can sort himself out and is a serious footballer so he's he's gone in at half time I mean, we did see uh, um, we did see Cisco sort of saying oi watch a yellow to him in the in the first half but he's then come out in the second half and, and shown improvement. It would have been nice to be a little bit better when he had that one-on-one with the goalkeeper, you know. Um, but I think that's, it's, it's the attitude, as we've already said, like that we saw in him that really excites me, uh, that makes me not worry, I suppose, in, in the games that we've got coming up. Uh, the, the other one who needs a, a big, uh, big props, Colin, uh, we don't talk about him a huge amount because we do talk about how great the the defence is. But Barkman made some absolutely tremendous saves when when he needed to today. Yeah, I mean, I think we do need to talk about Daniel Barkman. He's he's played what I think now twenty games. Is that right? Something along those lines. Defensively, interestingly, they showed a stat on the TV. I think we're first in all of the the major kind of stat areas for being defensive. Most clean sheets, least goals conceded in, in you know, and all, the, all those sorts of stats that they throw up on the telly. And I think we have to look at Backman and say, well, yes, we, we like Soralti. He's come into the team. He's playing very well. William Trustekong has his real qualities. Uh, Messina and Kiko obviously are, are good defenders and they get helped out by people like Hughes coming back. But... Very quietly, he's kind of crept up on me, Backman, because mostly, you, you know, you only notice a goalkeeper when they when they either do something extraordinary defensively or when they make a mistake. And he hasn't really done either of those things uh, in, in his time in between the sticks for us. He's been quite calm. He's quite efficient. He's neat and tidy. He comes for the high ball well. He's a decent shop stopper. Um, he occasionally has moments of genius with distribution. He had one tonight where... 
he threw the ball and you know we're over the halfway line in seconds with Semmer on it I think it was Semmer and so his vision his his uh, reflexes his his quickness to react and read the game and there's just he's just growing and you can sort of see him growing I mean I don't know how you feel but when I look at him in the goal now he looks actually a bit taller and a bit bigger than he did when he first started playing for us regularly and I think that's a confidence thing he's clearly a confident man he hasn't had uh, you know, a poor performance which would have maybe knocked his confidence and set him back a little bit. He's gradually improved, improved. And it's clear that the defenders trust him, um, that he's he's very vocal, as far as I can tell, from what Mike has said and what you can sometimes hear on the TV. He seems to be commanding that box. Um, he's taken his chance, which is not easy as a goalkeeper because, you know, we, we change our fullback. We don't even think about it, do we? Oh, there's been three changes today. The You know, Ngaki has come in for Kiko at right back. No one bats an eyelid. But you, you don't rotate your goalkeepers like that. It just doesn't happen in football. And I, I ask myself the question, why is that? Why don't we do that? You know, why don't we have a keeper that we think is better for this game or better for that game? But we just don't do it. So you, you have to sit and be patient and wait for your chance. And he, he did that. Unfortunately for Ben Foster, he broke his fingers, couldn't play. Backman's come in and he's just said, that is my shirt and this is my defence and this is my goal and no one is going to score. And, you know, and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's, he's done it as far as I can tell. I thought he was... He was terrific tonight. The last save, the save in the last minute. I mean, yeah, he got down fast. He didn't just save it. He held it. You know, it's just massively important. And, and what's important about that, it was the 88th minute, but actually that's, that stage, there was still six minutes of injury time. So there was eight minutes yeah. to go. So if that, that could have easily squirmed under his, his body. Um, and to, for, and, and it's, I think it's especially impressive when you don't have lots of saves to make in, in the game. You know, sometimes with, with sport... You get on a roll, don't you? And, you know, if you're swinging a golf club nicely, you feel comfortable walking up to the next one. If you're playing cricket, you, all that sort of stuff. I mean, you don't have to make saves when, you, when you're not palming it away or catching it very often. To, to get that sort of reaction um, and to get down and not just push it out into the path of an onrushing striker, but to actually to hold on to it, you know, with almost 10 minutes of the game to go, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a curveball, the fact that it happened in the 88th minute. It was, there was a big portion of the game to go. And Reading weren't backward in coming forward with, with, with who they had on the pitch in terms of attacking options, were they? So No, they weren't. Absolutely vital. There's one more thing about Backman that I've noticed, particularly tonight, that I quite like. And that's how we get them involved when we're looking to play the ball out of defence as well. And when you've got a team like Reading that are going to push you, that they are going to push your centre-backs when you're trying to play out, they then got Backman as another option to pass the ball to. And he looks quite comfortable. And, and like Colin said, you soon notice a goalie if he makes mistakes. And while some of our players on the pitch and some of our defenders were a bit sloppy in giving the ball away, I don't think we had a single mistake in that regard from Backman tonight. And uh, he again, the defenders, when you've got a goalkeeper that, that's good and doing that and comfortable on the ball, then your defenders are going to be more than happy to use him in that regard. And, and he just gives you almost an extra player on the pitch in your passing moves to play out of defence. For me, if Will Hughes isn't the best central midfielder in the championship, then I don't know who's better than him. Because again, tonight, I just thought he was imperious. You know, he just always seems to be available to get the ball. He's always calm. He never panics. He never rushes. He's got the ball. He can recycle it. He can get it back. He's just, for me, he, he is Watford at the moment. He's the reason that we've won these games. He's the reason that we're able to attack opposition and then defend uh, equally as well against them when they get on top of us. There's just something about this man. You know, he's quite slight. He's not big physically. He doesn't have a loud voice. He's not a big personality. And yet he utterly dominated that midfield uh, for most of the game tonight. 
And sometimes you look at him and you think, how are you doing it, Will? How, Mr. Hughes, I should call him, <laughs> Sir Hughes. But I mean, how is he doing it? He, as I say, he's slight of build. He's not pacey. You know, you, you can, he reminds me of some of those, and maybe this is a bit hyperbolic, but, you know, he does remind me of some of those Spanish midfielders who were not big men, who were small men, but they were, they were skillful, but they weren't pacey, but he just protects the ball. He loves the ball. He looks after the ball so well. He was bored, borne down on by a couple of Reading midfielders at one point tonight, you know, much bigger than him, snapping and snarling, trying to get the ball off him. And he was just, he's like water. You know, you can't tackle water. <laughs> so for me, he just, he's really impressing me at the moment. He's really the central core of why I think this team is doing so well, because the rest of the team know they can rely on him. And he's in that key position right in the centre of the park. He's always got his head up. He hardly ever gives the ball away, hardly makes mistakes. He can always find a man. He can keep the ball long enough till he gets himself an option. And there's just something that I, I mean, I absolutely love watching this, this man play football. And I'm delighted that he's playing for us. My favourite moment, apart from the goals, was there was a tackle just in front of the home dugout. <laughs> and it was one of those that it, it, it feels like the entire earth is going to split down the middle. The two guys just <laughs> arrived at exactly the same time at 100 miles an hour. Both caught their side of the ball perfectly. Thunderous challenge. It reverberated around, um, around Vickery Road. And for a split second, you wince because you think, oh, my God, someone's foot is going to fall off. Or, you know, that's going to shatter someone's shin. But Will Hughes, and as, as, as Colin rightly sort of articulated there, he does look slight. Got up, smiled, laughed, patted the bloke on the bum and yeah, ran off. Yeah, that was the moment, yeah. And, I that and, the moment, yeah. And, and that just sums him up. He never hides. No. He's skillful. Um, and, yeah, just everything that Colin said. But that moment just, I thought, summed him up perfectly. Just a quick question for you, lads, before we, we, we put the game to bed. A little question about Ken. Because, for me, he looked a little bit out of sorts tonight he I think he's a great outlet on the left and I think he he does a great job as almost as a foil for a, for our dream team really down the right aren't they because um, we know if Ken Semmer does get the ball and the opposition will know that if Ken Semmer gets the ball he is more than capable of hitting the byline getting a decent crossing he's done it a lot this season but I think recent he's looked like he's struggling to me um, I, I didn't think he had a, uh, his best game on on Monday and he, and he looked a little bit off the pace tonight as well he's sort of a couple of poor decisions um so i don't know maybe jace what is there a is there a need perhaps or or do we just keep going at this stage but how do we give ken a rest maybe without disrupting the balance or do we even need to am i being sort of overly pernickety and 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 kel surprise negative <laughs> yeah i don't I, I wouldn't change it at this stage I, it was a tough one for him tonight and again you probably need to give Reading a bit of credit. He was up against Yeodom, who had a pretty pretty good game for them. Didn't quite get his moment. I thought his best his best moment actually. I thought he was a bit unlucky. I think there was a a moment in the second half where he seemed to ping between two defenders and looked like he was going to be away. But I think the ball had come up and hit his hand. Don't think you can fault him for effort. I think that's still there. I think the, the, there's still a willingness to to give a hundred percent and try his best for the team. It's not quite happened for him in the the last couple of games. I think his, his defensive duties have still have still been okay. I thought we of talked about the the guys as sort of the three behind Pushkas that that were doing a lot of running off the ball. Um, so running with the ball, particularly in the first half. I thought Ken and Messina 
between them coped pretty well and probably better than we did defensively against the other two of those Reading players. I wouldn't sort of chuck baby out with the bath water at this stage. I don't I don't think there's there's any need to to make a change. Let's give him another go. It would just seem a bit churlish to, to make that change at this stage. And I'm really against making changes just because we're in a position this season with all the substitutes that we can make is that if you you keep his his positivity for himself by being a starter, you can substitute people on for him. And we've got plenty of substitutes, you know, compared to previous years, especially compared to when we first started watching football. So I'm not that worried about him. And I think I would continue to start more. Even Jab Pedro, you might even start putting into that, that category a little bit. He's not quite shining as much as he, as he has been the last couple of games. But I, I still would start him. I wouldn't just put Isaac Success on to start instead of Pedro, just because you can. It's about making sure that that team... Um, that that togetherness, which is still the worst word ever, I can't I can't think of a different one though. Um, that togetherness that we have, unity that we have, is, is the most important thing to to keep hold of, uh, and that's why I don't think I would necessarily make any change to that starting eleven next week. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. It's eight days before the next Watford game. So how are you going to fill your time with that as a Watford fan? Well, first of all, we'll be probably doing another podcast in the middle of the week uh, talking to Adam uh, about what he's seeing, what he's hearing, about what's going on at Vicarage Road. Because as the Athletics uh, Watford correspondent, you can read all his articles uh, at theathletic.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, it currently costs you three ninety nine. That's a 40% discount for your first six months. Uh, so if you go to theathletic.com forward slash Rookery End. You can sign up now uh, for uh, a subscription. Uh, but also, of course, there are there are many other podcasts out there where you can listen to. Uh, just have a search for Watford Podcast. I'm sure will come up, and I'm sure some other ones as well. So give them a listen. But of course, you should also check out a thing called YouTube. We, we've, we've talked about video. We're just a little bit old, and we're, we need to figure out how to use the clever filters before we, we, we head down that, that road of doing video on From the Rookery Inn. Uh, but I caught up with Jacob Coulshaw, uh, someone who you've probably come across in your time as Watford fans, uh, to talk to him about a series of interviews that they've been doing over the last couple of months uh, with some Watford players. And, of course, you can watch those videos by going to YouTube.com, just looking for WD18 on YouTube. He talked to me uh, about the four interviews he's done recently with with current members of the Watford squad. Jacob, um, you had the luck of talking to many Watford players recently. You've spoke to uh, Joseph Hungbo, uh, a youngling. Um, I, I can't call him an oldling because he's younger than me, but uh, Tom Cleverley. Uh, and, and also one of the new boys uh, in Philip Zinkenagel. Um, they're all available on your YouTube channel. What was it like? You know, you, you, we, we talked before about the Daniel Barkman interview you did a few months ago. But, you know, seeing those as a, as a three, as a whole, uh, in terms of those uh, interviews you did, what did you get as a Watford fan speaking to those boys? 
Yeah, I think the first thing, John, is it was actually quite surreal, really, speaking to to the Watford players. I haven't had the the experience of doing it before, but I think the nice thing about all three of them, there was a, there was a contrast between the three that you mentioned. Uh, first off was Philip Zinkenagel, PZ7 as we call him, and he does like the nickname. Honestly, re- really, really chilled guy. A cosmopolitan outlook on life. Very chilled. He said his, his inspiration growing up was James Bond and David Beckham, and you can certainly say he's got the looks for it. But uh, yeah, no, it was... I think the contrast, particularly with Philip, was because we didn't know a lot about him before we joined Watford, joining from Bowdoin and Glimt in, in January. It was nice to actually just just ask him, who, who is he? What was his personality like? There was who there was are an un- you? who are yeah you? yeah. Well, that's the thing. We we did it. We yeah. didn't know. We we'd heard all these things about him at Bowdoin and Glimt with the the goal contributions, and I think he was sixth in in, in Europe for for goals and assists. And there was this this big kind of tag with him with with the fans oh this guy's got to hit the ground running but to, to learn about his personality off the pitch was was fa- was fascinating actually and yeah very chill guy very cool great sense of humor you can tell with the lads and what we see on social media they've taken to him straight away and he said as a, as a number of players have uh, William Truster Kong is one of his best mates at the football club and he's been a big influence on him that was then followed by uh, a chat with Tom Cleverley and as you mentioned he's one of the more experienced players at the club obviously uh, having a spell uh, in in the oh nine ten, and we touched a little bit on that on his the skinhead Tom Cleverley who burst on the scene, talking about that, obviously that Lloyd Doyle goal, Lloyd Doyle goal when he celebrated with the supporters, directing Lloyd over to the to the family stand, and then we kind of just talked about his return to Watford, maybe some questions about you know his favourite moment. There's been there's been a few goals. I think the one that particularly stood out to him was the Crystal Palace goal. I think we all knew as Watford fans him coming back from that. Achilles injury and he, he scored a brilliant brilliant goal and he said the only thing he regrets about that is, is celebrating at the, at the wrong end so it was yeah it was great to speak to Clevs not only about this season and, and his role becoming captain and having to step up as captain but just his time at the football club and that insight into what it's like being an experienced player at Watford particularly this season the big thing for me that he mentioned was since he's been at Watford this is the most together he has seen a squad which puts us in good stead going into going into the last few games of the season. And then just finally, uh, recently we spoke to, to Joe Hungbo, who again was, a, a, it was a contrast from what we've seen with, with Clevs, obviously an, an, uh, a young player who's burst onto the scene, played a, a few games off the bench, making his Watford debut, uh, played away at Old Trafford. So there was some, a unique insight into what it's like being a young player at Watford. But particularly for Joe, who's, you know, Cisco Moonoff has showed a lot of faith in him and he, he referenced how Cisco is really, kind of nurtured him and, and, and developed his game because he used to be a winger when he was a professional. And, you know, he was so humble, re- again, a funny, funny guy, um, just genuine and, and was really happy and excited to be there, which is always nice when you're speaking to someone. Not to say the other two lads weren't, but particularly Joe, you could tell he was really enjoying it. And I think having that rapport with him as a young Watford fan, I'm only, only 19 and he's just turned 21. So the fact that we were a similar age, man, it was a lovely chat with Joe and he was really good value and, and a pleasure to speak to. And, and fingers crossed we can see more of him in, in, in the future. Yeah, no, that, you know, that's exactly what I sort of got from them all. You know, the fact that, you know, he, he, Hungbo seemed to be one of these um, very determined young men, mm. uh, almost to the point where he said, oh, I don't like going out. I'm going, what do you mean you don't like going out, you weirdo? Um, you need to go out as well as do all this serious stuff. Yeah, Philip was great to get, sort of get to know him as a... As a mm, mm. Just didn't know him at all. Uh, and then with Cleverly, it was that that sort of confirming of his seniority. Uh, yeah. And a clip, let's play a quick clip of it, um, where he talks about the, the big meeting that the senior players called after the Coventry draw. I wanted to ask you, Tom, about the turnaround in the season, really, because um, you mentioned Hive Live a, a little bit earlier, and I think you were on after the, 
the game after the commentary game, and you mentioned in the, the extra show about how you, you lads had a team meeting ahead of the Bristol City game. Do you think that was the turning point in the season? Because we've gone on an incredible run since that commentary game. I think it's nine wins in ten, five on the bounce, obviously, at the moment. Did you feel in the squad at that moment, like it, it, there was a switch, like we, we're, we're on it now, automatics are in our, kind of in our, our mindset? We don't want to get talking like the job's done yet, but there's certainly been a change since after that Coventry game and it's definitely been a turning point. Three or four of the senior boys spoke to each other that night, which was pretty much true. Steve Kong really drove that. Maybe you guys wouldn't know that he's a real leader, cares about the club. Uh, and he drove that that night and uh, fair play because the Tuesday morning we got together, we had a meeting, said what needed saying and, and yeah, we were turning against each other a bit in the Coventry game. So since that day, we've had no going mad at each other or trying, it's pure encouragement, get behind each other and coincided with we changed the system to 4-3-3 for the Bristol City game and since that day, I think we've been a much better team. How, does it, how do these things sort of help you with your connection with this team? You know, Jacob, the fact you got to speak to these, again, someone someone new to the squad, someone young to the squad, someone you know, well-experienced and one of the senior players. How does it, how did it make that you, do you feel after you know, connecting with them? Mm. Because we haven't been able to do it by going to Vickers Road week in, week out. Yeah, I think, I think particularly maybe less so with Clevs because, as you mentioned, he's been at the club for, for quite a while now. And we do know Tom Cleverley really well. He's a fan's favourite. He's, he's a cult hero. Maybe not at the legend status just yet, but he's in that cult hero bracket. But I think with... With Dan Backman, uh, uh, Philip Zinkanagel, I was going to say PZ7 then, Philip Zinkanagel and then Joseph Hungbo. The great thing about those three guys and the opportunity and the timing of the interviews was they were kind of relatively un- unknown in the sense that Daniel Backman had just come into the team. We hadn't seen a lot of him before. Philip Zinkanagel had just joined the football club and Joseph Hungbo just started to get opportunities at the time of recording. So the great thing about that was I, I felt and the, the kind of the aim of the, the chats were to get to know them a little better, be, a bit better, as it says in the title, getting to know but also give Watford fans the opportunity to get to know them a little bit better. And, and as you said, just create a bit of a bond and a connection to this team. Uh, and particularly those three players, as, as I mentioned, haven't, you know, they've come in relatively new and, and, and particularly the new signings like Philip. So from, from my point of view, John, it, it's made me connect particularly with, with Philip and Joe and, and Dan, who have all interacted with our, with our, with our content on WDA team. But even from a fan, fan's perspective, to get to know them more as they get more opportunities in this Watford squad was really refreshing and, and just to know their personalities a bit more because those three guys, um, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to speak to them and, and certainly build up our connection and our rapport with, with, those, with those players. So with that inside knowledge that you have, are you as a Watford fan, nice, cool and calm, ready <laughs> for this those last five, six games that we, we've got? Because, you know, you, you've seen what they're like, you, you know where their head is, you, you're, you think that they are in the absolutely perfect position to, to finish this season off. Tom, the Tom Cleverley interview was, was an eye-opener for me in terms of, as I mentioned just previously, the togetherness in this Watford squad is, is, was really refreshing to hear. And he was so complimentary about this squad and the talent that we have and the personalities that we have as well. He's mentioned previously there's been some players who may be not bad eggs, but certainly maybe put a little bit of a dampener on the mood. They, he, he said since after that commentary game, kind of consensus was we be positive. We are positive regardless of the situation and we need to get this team back into the Premier League. So in terms of that cleverly interview, that filled me with a lot of confidence heading to the last six games of the season because as we all are nervous, it's going to be a nervous time. The last six games is, oh, my, tum- my stomach's already turning thinking about it. But, but Tom was very confident that we can get the job done and he was very confident in the group of players that he has. And of course, he's going to say that, but you could really actually tell, even though it was across Zoom and it wasn't in person, that he was 
he genuinely believes in this group of players and believes in the manager that we can get this job done and we can get over the line and, and take the club back to the Premier League. And I think that's a, just to, just to wrap up on Klebs, that, that's a burning desire for him. I think it really hurt. There was a few players who, who were relegated last season, but I think particularly Cle- uh, Tom Cleverley, who, who was hurt by, by last season's events. And I think he's someone who's absolutely desperate to get this football club back into the top flight. So from that chat alone, I was the, the confidence levels increased, but of course we're still going to be nervous of Watford fans. This is what football club after all, anything can happen. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So do go and check those out on YouTube. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're well worth it. Again, that feeling of feeling a bit closer to the players and understanding them a bit more is something we haven't had this season. Of course, you can also fill your time uh, by reading the latest edition of the Watford Treasury. Uh, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. We're so proud of it. Uh, it's an amazing thing that a bunch of Watford fans have put together. It's so unique. And there isn't another magazine like it for any other club in the country. Uh, I caught up with the editor, uh, Jeff Wicken, uh, to find out about what's in the latest volume, volume seven of the Watford Treasury. Jeff, if anyone hasn't picked up a copy, shame on them. But what is what is the Watford Treasury? Well, we bill it as a visual history of Watford Football Club. Uh, it's an A4 full-colour magazine. The new issue that just came out this week runs to 128 pages. Includes all sorts of features from all sorts of eras of the club, going back even to the 19th century, in one case in this issue, right through to probably the most recent thing is the 94-95 season, which was uh, Glenn Roder's uh, best-remembered season for Watford, I suppose. We also have a, a tribute to him given that he passed away recently. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing about the Treasury. I sort of, I pick it up and I I, I enjoy learning about Watford history. I think that's something I've I've got as I've got older in my age. Um, But it's the little nuggets, I think, that you guys have found in in the past. It isn't just about the, you know, the the time since Graham Taylor and speaking to those ex-players, which, you know, is is part of it. But there's there's lots of different things you sort of picked up on. You do pick up on that summer of 1977 when Graham Taylor turned up uh, and those more modern day more modern day look at me saying modern day when it's in the 90s um but, there, but there's one particular one the, the brothers cotha who uh who turned up well quite a while ago and played for watford yes yes i mean 1898 they made their debut for watford uh and jack and edwin cotha were the first asian professional footballers Anywhere in the world, I would say anywhere in the world, that's because professional football started in Britain. But Jack Cother in particular, uh, was, uh, who was a sturdy fullback and a great favourite with the crowd at Casio Road where Watford used to play, uh, was uh, the first Watford player to make 100 appearances for the club as well. So undoubtedly the first player of Asia, Asian and specifically Indian heritage to uh, be as successful as he was in the professional game. Uh, and you've got a, an interview that you've done uh, with uh, someone from the 1950s, Bill Shipwright. It's a name I've heard of, but again, I'm looking forward to reading this because you hear names, but finding out more about them is always quite hard. What what can you tell me about that interview? Because how old is will Bill, Bill be? He was a player in the 1950s. How old is he now? I think he's getting on for 90. Okay. Um, but uh, he gave the terrific interview. It was very, very amusing. Lots of good stuff. Uh, and I've only used some of it. Uh, we showed him a picture, uh, a colourised picture of himself running out at uh, Vicarage Road in the mid-50s. I just asked him to talk about that and captured what he said. One of the things he got onto 
that was how he ended up playing against Stanley Matthews, who wow. was the, uh, the superstar of the day, in uh, a benefit match when Matthews turned up at Vicarage Road at the end of the season. Bill was actually working in the club office uh, in the afternoons as well. So he said in the afternoon he'd, he'd given Matthews his money for appearing in this game. <laughs> and then in the evening he uh, turned out and was marking him directly. There's a very, very funny tale that he tells of how he dealt with Stanley Matthews by uh, basically putting him on the dog track, coming in at half-time and the manager saying, if you do that again, I'm substituting you because they've come here to watch Stanley Matthews, not you. (laughs) And he he talks about Matthews only having one trick and how he'd realised what it was and uh, anticipated it and uh, therefore was able to uh, tackle him in robust fashion. As football was in those days, of course. Um, what else can we can we get in this uh, this latest volume? I like the fact that it's called a volume because you say it's a magazine. I think it's more than a magazine. It's a it's a top quality publication. It's beautiful, um, as we've said many a time on from the Rickery end. But it's it's not the edition. It's a volume, isn't it? So this is volume seven. What other things can we uh, look forward to if we we get a copy? Volume seven. Well, I'm just flicking through it now. There's an interview with Tony Marks, who used to run the Hornet Shop in the oh, 1980s. Yes. Many, including yourself, clearly, John, will oh. be very, uh, we'll look at that very fondly. There's a good piece on the history of greyhound racing at Vicarage Road that ran from the 1920s through to the late 70s when um, Graham Taylor decided that it wasn't uh, what he wanted to be going on in the, uh, in the ground. And he himself, there's a very nice feature about uh, the summer of 1977 and how instant his impact was. Tied up around two different away games at Stockport, one in April 1977, the very uh, dog days of the Mike Keane reign, and then Graham's very first match uh, again at Stockport in August 1977, and how different everything instantly seemed to be uh, because his impact was so uh, rapid. The 94-95 season is a lovely piece by Nick Catley, very, very well written. Um, it's a very fondly remembered season right from the, the very start when, um, actually, you may remember Jurgen Klinsmann made his debut in English football at Vicarage Road in a friendly match and then reappeared and scored a hat-trick in a League Cup tie about a month later. That was a fine season. It's fondly remembered by many people and completely forgotten by some others but uh, Nick's done a really nice job of bringing that to life and you can get hold of a copy of the Watford Treasury by going to thewatfordtreasury.co.uk and signing up uh, for one edition or or several editions Uh, and they come out three four times a year uh, because they are weighty weighty volumes of a lot of history uh, of Watford as as Jeff was telling us about so just go to thewatfordtreasury.co.uk to sign up but of course when the Hornet shop reopens you can get one in there Uh, also when the Watford Museum opens up you can get one in there as well so next week we are playing Luton Town. Uh, it's the second time we've played them this season. Jason, I'm not. Li- I'm going to lie to you. I was. I think I overhyped the first game because it, it was the first time we played them in such a long time. It wasn't a derby game, and I'm not really hyping myself up for this for next week being a derby game. I'm more hyped about it being another step closer for Watford to to get promotion. What about you? It's it's big, isn't it? Uh, you're not getting hyped up. I'm not getting hyped up yet. I'm probably more concerned about what our rivals are going to do tomorrow. But once that's done, then, yeah, when it gets to Saturday, I think the hype will be there. It is a derby game and it is a big game in the context of our season. It's an opportunity 
for them to try and derail what we are trying to achieve. They've got nothing else to play for. They're not going to go down. They're not going to threaten the playoffs. What they've got the chance to do is to stop us from getting automatic promotion or try and put a little dent in that ambition. And they will be up for it. And we need to be up for it as well to to combat that. We've been talking about how we get nervous before games anyway. And, and I find that these Friday night games, I, I'm not nervous because I'm busy working during the day. And then all of a sudden the game's upon me and I'm sitting down and watching it. And then I'm into the game. It's going to be so, so different next Saturday. It, the nerves are going to start from the moment I get up because I'm just going to be, I don't know, probably pottering around the house doing my chores. Um, okay. But I'll have a lot of a lot of thinking time to think and worry about the game. I am going to be hyped. I am going to be nervous. Don't worry, Jason. I'll have a word with your girlfriend, Nikki, uh, and give, make sure she's got a big long list for you to do around the house next Saturday morning. <laughs> Uh, Thanks. Colin, how are, you, how are you ahead of this? Is it, is it more about beating Luton or is it more about continuing this promotion run? It's very hard to, to make it more than just another game for me at the moment. I think if I had a ticket in my pocket which said Kenilworth Road and had that horrible crest in the top left-hand corner and I was going on Saturday, I think I'd feel one, more nervous, two, jolly excited and three, incredibly determined to make sure we um, we beat them but with it being just one of these other kind of almost like virtual experiences of watching my team play it's very hard to to put more on it because it's Luton yeah I think I'm more you know like all of us we feel a little bit more focused on well three more points 85 points you know if they don't win their games and Swansea have got to play their uh, pickup game on next Tuesday when we don't play so by the time we play Luton we'll know where they are if they win the next two then they're you know sort of almost back in the hunt but if they don't then they're kind of gone and so there's all these other things swirling around and the fact that it's Luton I just, at the moment I bet it's you know seven eight days away I, I can't I'm not feeling that burning derby sort of maniacal emotion that I normally feel when we play Luton. So, um, so yeah, so I can't, I can't really tell you exactly how I feel about it until we get a bit closer, but it's not feeling like there's more on it than if we were playing some other team, because we just desperately need that, that, those three points. Well, I've just spent sort of an hour and a half, hour and three quarters in very, very close proximity to Nathan Jones and Mick Harford. And I can tell you, <laughs> I am absolutely chomping at the bit to get there, <laughs> sort that lot out and carry on our procession back to the Premier League at their expense, knowing full well that at the end of play on Saturday, they could have contributed six valuable points to Watford Football Club's return to the Premier League. I am absolutely desperate for them to go, for us to go there and just sort them out. They are an inconvenience. We need to treat them as such uh, and, and just turn up, sort them out and get home. Is that um, what Mick Hartford does to you, Mike? Uh, do you know what? I've got a soft spot for Mick Harford, actually. He's, to- he's, he's good mates with, with Tony Coton, isn't he? And anyone that's good mates with Tony Coton is, good mates is, is all right for me. But when you see it, you know, he will want, as, as much as I want, or any of us want to beat, beat Luton, he will want Luton to beat Watford. They will absolutely, you know, all joking aside, they will be so, so up for this because, as Jason said, they have got an opportunity to, to, to be a real fly in the ointment, to make make life difficult it will be robust shall we say i'd expect some 
serious challenges to be to be flying in. Nathan Jones was very critical, wasn't he, after the game at Vicarage Road, saying how it wasn't it didn't feel like a derby. It felt like no one turned up. Well, it was his lot really that didn't turn up because Watford sort of won it at a canter, didn't they? Really, and the the, the only real flashpoint was when Troy Deeney smashed that guy right right at the end. That was the only thing that ever that felt like a derby. But that was perfect for Watford. It was so. I don't think they will make that mistake again. And, and whilst there are no supporters there, you know, it is a very, very different atmosphere. It's a very different ground. These, these, a lot of these Watford players won't have seen anything quite like it. Um, you know, I'm sure they're not probably allowed to use the away dressing room. So they'll probably be getting changed in, I don't know, a conference room or a conference room, I'm calling it. It's going to be a blooming porter cabin, isn't it? Basically. <laughs> isn't that, It'll be one of those, yeah, one of those double glazing salesman things on the side of the pitch. So it, it, They're executive a, boxes. It is a very, very tricky afternoon. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm the same I'm, as Jason. I am desperate, desperate for us to win it. A, because it's Luton. It's been there. It's sort of been hovering in our line of sight. Amidst, you know, amongst these, we've talked about the games to come against Reading tonight. We've dealt with them. Brentford, Norwich and, and Swansea all on the horizon. But in a, as, as, as challengers, but in there, right slap bang in the middle, right in our eye line, just like the sun going down on it as you drive on the M25 home and a lovely summer's evening, just annoying you, just in the corner there, has been Luton Town. And they've been there for a long time. We've known that they were going to be, uh, we were going to be playing at this time of the season, all season. And we've hoped that it was going to be a, a, a pivotal, pivotal and integral match. And it will be, one way or the other. Uh, we still need the points to get up. There's no, you know, let's not get too carried away. We need to win games to get promoted. Um, and this is our next opportunity to do it. Um, so I, I really hope, I no doubt that our boys will be fired up. You know, Troy Deeney playing a part in the, in the team. There's plenty of other people around the place who will, who will be making sure that everyone understands exactly what this means for us as supporters and what it means in terms of our, our ongoing promotion push. It's it's colossal game. You know, I say it every week now, but, but every game is, is the next massive one because it's it's just so important for this football club to get to get promoted. Um, and we, we have to be professional, you know, slightly over-egging the pudding a little bit. But as a supporter, I want us to go there and sort them out. It would give me... Nothing would give me greater glee than to know that, that, know that Luton fans have to put up with us bouncing down for a season they didn't even get to see us play because there's no, no one it was all behind closed doors and before they even <laughs> realized what happened we're back up in the premier league uh, lording it on match of the day while they have to find out where quest is on their planner so that that appeals to me <laughs> that appeals to me greatly but we we just got to turn, we've got to be professional there was times tonight where you know it felt like there could be a little flashpoint reading knew what they were doing they knew Watford were up against the pump and there were there were a bit of verbals and a few little flicks here and there let's not get sucked into that let's be professional let's do the job let's be Watford uh, let's rise above it sort them out on we go and of course there'll be a podcast to see exactly how Mike feels after that game <laughs> next weekend uh, thank like. you very much for your time Michael not at all thank you for having me thank you for putting up with me and, and well done Watford I thought that was that was a real game of two halves and I thought that was they had to show professionalism determination and, and no little talent and we, we saw it all there tonight so uh, well done you golden boys I'll sleep well tonight thank you Jason thank you and thank you Colin best performance of the season for me and also best opposition so well done you lovely beautiful golden boys and the golden boys go on five games to go Let's see what happens next. The Athletic.